Welcome to Beyond Aesthetics, a podcast about art and design from the Fountain Institute. In this podcast, we explore how to think like an artist and how to think like a designer. Today, we have part two of Art and Education in Design with Margaret Hall, a professor at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. We will continue our conversation and dive further into how research plays a role in the artistic practice and how art is pedagogy. Let's get started. What, how do you approach like the idea of like researching this audience group or like the if they're not sure or they are sure like what importance does it make of getting to know this audience group uh, more um this is something that's personally really interesting to me in my own creative research um but i encourage conversation students to have conversations with directly with their audience. So whenever possible, and if that means having conversations with their friends or family members to understand their ideas about dress, but also absorbing information through social media. I mean, I I always try to balance that with other sources, but social media, you know, whether TikTok or Instagram provides so much information about how people are operating in, um, in the world. It's not it's not reflective of everyone. Um, you know, it's still a very like specific community, but especially for Gen Zers, the majority of whom are, you know, using those platforms, it becomes an important tool in understanding though, understanding what it is and understanding that it's important to look at other, other sources, whether they be, um, you know, existing news media platforms, um, looking at what kind of research do students do about their audiences or like yeah. how, like, is that something that you like, like encourage or work into like their curriculum and stuff like that? Yeah, honestly, I think it's something that we could um, have even more focused discussion about because in the fashion industry, um, they're increasingly there is a desire for direct engagement with the customer base and understanding goes along with increasing calls for transparency in the fashion industry around their social, environmental, other practices that have been problematic, but there is um, either like direct to consumer um, models are prevalent, I think um, right now. So understanding like that you are reliant on your customer base is is hugely important if your goal is to be an independent designer and to have, pursue an entrepreneurial path. So as far as research, approaches to research, online research, looking at articles in sources like, you know, Business of Fashion, we recently are about to have access to WGSN, which is a trend forecasting um, platform. Um, so looking at those like fashion specific sites, but um, if in terms of online research, research, but also understanding world events and having some context around the influence of um, politics and other social considerations beyond just the world of fashion um, and consumerism is so important. Um, I talk to students so much about context. It's kind of another conversation, but um, but understanding um, issues within fashion like appropriation. And um, I think this very much ties into audience actually. So it's so important for students to, to be aware of 
how, for example, in the case of materials, how they're using specific materials and what the inherent, um, you know, what the history of that material might be, where it came from, who made it, um, you know, how it was grown. There's so many, there's so many parts, um, so many components that go into making a garment that um, are, are worth considering um, if one's intention, and, and this varies, some students aren't as focused on sustainability or ethics in their designs, but we are seeing that it, um, in order to be an engaged designer and even in a successful designer, you should at least have a, a stance on, um, on your particular company's outlook on sustainability issues. Yeah, I mean, okay, so that's really interesting though too that you you talk about like context of where this not just like material sits in, but like the context of the company or the industry. Um, and, and then that was like relating to this idea of the user and researching the user. Um, and, and for me, and I think for like uh, our audiences, what's really interesting about that is, um, is that like, yes, you have these specific details that are similar to like the fashion design world and the art world, but like the larger themes and ideas that you're talking about are exactly the same things that we talk about in like the uh, um, design, like uh, kind of software, like most of our um, audiences software does or work in the software design. So mm -hmm. UX designers or product designers or UI designers. And so they're working within this kind of, you know, apps and softwares and, and stuff like that. Like one of the things we try to teach and, and work through is like thinking about the context that you're, um, product is sitting in or the context that your company is sitting in and looking at the larger picture and looking at the system that sits around it because it's not this like isolating object. Um, and that to me ties so much to research as well, which is what you were talking about. And um, I'm also kind of curious because I see this huge tie from like straddling both worlds. And I like that you said that you do the same in the beginning. Um, I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit more about like your personal creative research process. Um, and I love that you said, I hadn't thought about that like creative research. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's now that I'm in fully, you know, moored in academia, that's a phrase that is used um, in my institution and in other institutions to denote I guess, legitimize creative practice, creative research. And so it's not necessarily a phrase that I would have used before. Um, I didn't necessarily think about my creative practice as research, but creative research or practice-based research are... So yeah, I'm working on a project right now that is um, looking at, that was happening before the pandemic, but was definitely influenced by the onset of the pandemic and my own and many other people's um, making of non-surgical face masks for those in the medical field when there was a serious shortage in the U.S. because of supply chain and because of various <laughs> political reasons. You know, we didn't, we just, there wasn't enough. And so I started making masks and distributing them um, and at the same time, I was joining groups online, joining Facebook groups who were sharing mask patterns, offering surplus materials, and 
also uh, creating spreadsheets and um, posting needs, specific hospitals or other medical offices who needed masks. So I saw that was my own personal experience of Facebook in this case as a site for community um, and for sharing and resource sharing and knowledge sharing. So I'm working on a project now that looks at is a continuation of, of some of that first experience, but that looks at online spaces as sites for community um, when, in the case of the pandemic especially, that physical experience of finding community it was not possible. Um, so I'm looking at not only the way communities are formed, um, but also the way trends spread in online spaces. So I, I'm working on a project right now that's inspired by Cottagecore, which existed before the pandemic, but really saw an increase in followers during the pandemic. Um, are you familiar? I'm not familiar with Cottagecore. Cottagecore is an internet aesthetic that romanticizes a sort of back to the land or, and fetishizes like the handmade and espouses spending time in nature, typically anti-capitalist and has uh, become a home for many people in who are identified as queer um, because it sort of rejects the heteronormative model. Um, there are some controversies and criticism around it, um, especially there's, there's so many offshoots of it that I won't get into and I am still learning a lot about it, but, um, but I'm thinking and using, thinking about it and using the, a lot of the imagery that's associated with cottage course. So specifically I'm using florals, um, floral printed garments inspired by chintz fabric to um, create garments that sort of like visualize this internet aesthetic. And I'm also working on a, a VR space that's in progress that if, in, in which um, people will eventually be able to enter and um, communicate and try on garments. So I'm very much working in tandem, you know, physical, I guess, just as I'm straddling art and design worlds, I, I straddle, um, you know, the physical process of making with the process of making digitally um, and understanding how those two can support each other, those two formats um, and approaches can support each other. Because I think technically there are actually a lot of overlaps between physical making and digital processes um, in terms of like time intensive process and the, um, the detail oriented approach. Um, and so, so yeah, I'm working on making physical garments um, that are also going to be showed alongside a VR room that, that people can access. I mean, I think it's so interesting you're, this connection you're talking about between the digital space and the physical space. And I think, I mean, I do think there is, like for me, there's like a clear distinction and connection between the two um, because so much of the process is the same. It's just the like material that you're using to produce whatever it is that you're producing, let's say. And like, they both have different elements to them and they don't both have different like nuances and skills and all this other thing. But like at the core, like a lot of the time, the like 
process that you do, or like at least a thinking process. It's like you're working through these ideas in different ways and you're thinking, and it's exciting to see this like connection between like, how does something like react differently in a digital form? Um, and does it have the same elements as like a physical form or like how like community is built or how people interact? Cause like we interact with this digital space, like more so now than we do with physical space, right. but like we do it in a different way. And so yeah. like, how do we like learn those habits or how do we like integrate that into like knowing what we're going to like do in that space or not? Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, the, the, that's a really interesting connection, I think. Yeah. I think, um, you know, plenty of people have been working in VR. So I'm like, I'm, it's still new for me and I'm still, I didn't grow up gaming or anything like that. So it's still, I'm still excited about it. And my first experience of it, you know, I was just taken aback by the way that it does not replicate the experience of being next to someone in physical space, but it creates something entirely different. And the fact that when I actually get closer to another avatar, I can hear them. Hear them. And then, I remember the first virtual space that I was in that that happened in. I was just like, what? <laughs> like, this is so crazy. Like, I just have to like, quote unquote, physically get close to you. And then I can hear you like a dozen real life or something like that. Yeah, it's a totally different kind of intimacy that I think is wonderful. Um, and, and so, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to inviting people into the space and having conversations around making garments. Um, I'm also really interested in a lot of um, open source initiatives around garments and patterns um, that are happening in the industry and in fashion discourse right now. So that's another aspect of my creative research that I'm also excited to build further. So one of the things that we've kind of like touched on, but hasn't in throughout this conversation, but I haven't like neither of us have said out loud and what I've been thinking about though, is like these kind of like processes that are similar between, not only just similar between the art and design world, but also these processes that are like quote unquote hidden from like the public in a way, mm-hmm. because um, another like big thing I hear a lot from the art world as well as from the design world is that like this assumption of like oh I could do that or like that was really simple to make or like what's so special about that and like or like you know um when I'm doing uh, my own personal work with like branding or web design it's like oh well, I just really need a simple logo so it won't <laughs> take long and it's just kind of like you know, or, you know, this object, it's not that difficult. So can you just make it for me or something like that? And it's like, there's so much that gets hidden in these processes, like the process itself, like from the like idea inception to the like, you know, testing out that we do of like trying to make something and, you know, not and doing it over and over again to doing getting feedback from other people. It's like, and we just have different words for these things in like the design world and the art world. So it's like, you know, in the design, in like the digital design world, we just call it prototyping. And like, it's like, we can Mm -hmm. use a similar word or like iteration. It's just like, I don't remember like so much in art school talking about (laughs) prototyping or iteration, but like, it's what we were doing. Like it was like model making or like, you know, building a test piece. And then there's also like the amount of like actual research that goes into like the pieces themselves. So like, and, and for like the better word of like 
I don't know what the right word is. I was going to say pure research, but it sounds awful to say. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. what like people think about research, like academic, like rigorous research, like that goes into like so much of like the artistic process and the creative process and the design process. And like designer, like like our like students are always like begging and wishing to get more design or research or get sorry get more research into their process in, at work or mm-hmm. getting their managers to give them approval to spend more time doing the research to get to the right problem not the right solution necessarily uh-huh. and so yeah. um but like I think that has a similar but it's because we don't like show or talk about those things as much where yeah. like you know you go to a museum or you go like to the store and you see like an object or you see a piece of clothing or you see an art piece and you just see the end product you don't see the like what happened behind it or like the like what went into that um and so I don't know I mean I'm just curious of your thoughts on that yeah I mean I think that's what that's really interesting what you bring up um this sort of like whether in, it's an intentional hoarding of knowledge or um, a lack of understanding about the intellectual energy um, or time it is that's required to make something or to realize something. I would argue that making the process more transparent, like in the case of sharing a pattern, right? Sharing a garment pattern while it means that someone else can now make this thing that you made. And if you're offering it for free, then, you know, they're, they're using their time and resources to make that thing that you have offered to them. Um, I do think it builds this culture of, of understanding around the ability of everyone to seek knowledge or to have access to knowledge. I mean, not everyone has the time necessarily or um, the resources to make a garment, but with increased transparency about the process. And I think it, it has to not only be, again, in the case of a garment pattern, just sharing the pattern, but also talking about the, the experience of that designer and how they came to this pattern. Um, being more transparent about the process is really crucial at increasing understanding of of what is required to make something, of the time and energy that it takes to realize an object. Yeah, I guess I'm curious, were you saying that increased transparency about process will legitimize or could Mm. potentially legitimize? Or were you saying... There's one thing where it's like, I don't want you, I don't want people to feel like they have to like explain themselves all the time or like, but I do think that there could be a little bit of like, you know, peek behind the curtain of Mm -hmm. what goes into behind the scenes. Yeah. Behind the scenes of what's really happening to like kind of value and appreciate like Mm -hmm. what it is that's happening here. And, And I think that like, I don't know, it goes back and forth where it's like, because I've had conversations with my friends who are like not in the art world and, um, and haven't had any sort of like, training or process of like creative problem solving or you know Mm -hmm. making in a way and then it's like when I explain like what it is that I feel like I learned through my artistic practice and through going for like a like a arts education um was much more of like 
you know, how to make things and how to work through process and go through all the things we've talked about today, Um, you know, research and feedback and critiques and all this stuff. And it's like, it's it's like, they just didn't, it's just like, they had no idea or like, Mm -hmm. like, or it was just like not as familiar to them. And then like, with whatever field they're in, they're like, oh, that's like really similar to what I do too sometimes. Yeah. And so I think that, um, and with our students at least, or with like the um, more like designers that we talk to, um, it's like you have to communicate to your managers or your bosses what actually goes in through the process of making something. Like, so a lot of times we talk to them about how to get, um, more buy-in on time and resources to do uh, proper research on like the problem space and who their users are mm-hmm. Um, or, mm-hmm. you know, like wanting to do like the time and space to use their interviews once a week or once a month or something like that. Yeah. Um, and you have to kind of put this in business perspectives. And so yeah. it's like showing them that spending the time and like effort at this moment in time will actually get you better results in the end because we're not wasting our time because we're actually figuring out what the right problem to solve or like this is what research does instead of like but you kind of have to like show that like you have to lift the curtain you have to show behind the scenes of like what actually goes behind doing that and not just like here's a report of like my aunt like of what came out of it because all they see is that report then sometimes they like you you're not really like they're not you're not showing enough not showing enough of what you're doing and so you're like I actually need two weeks to do this not two hours because to do it properly like this is the way you do it and like I don't know I just like kind of saw like a similarities to like I guess the art world where it's like you know that that question or that thing you hear all the time like I could do that like my five-year-old could do that and it's like well it's not I mean, no, they couldn't, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, there's yeah. so much more that goes behind it. And so I don't know, I just like, I, I get like torn between it a lot of the time of like, how much do you show? How much do you not show? Like, yes, yes. Yeah. And this is something that I have heard concerning from students, even just like sharing their ideation process with their peers. Um, you know, it's, it's, I would say it's a minority who, who feel like, protective of their intellectual property, right? And it should be a, a space, this academia should be a space where students feel like they can uh, can share what they're doing and someone isn't gonna steal their ideas, right? But, but to go back to your question earlier about research, um, and I think it ties into what we're talking about right now, um, it is important, and this is something that I always, require of students when they're, when I assign a project, um, they have to produce collage, well, sorry, okay, they have to produce um, ideation boards, so trend, mood, and inspiration boards that visualize either digitally or physical boards that visualize their uh, their thinking, their research, their thought process, and where they want to go with this project. And simultaneously, they have to produce sketches. Um, that can be in combination with garment flats, so a, a digital illustration of the garment um, that they're designing. Um, and then at the same time, I also ask them to write. So it really needs to be a 
a multidisciplinary approach. They're not always writing at the same time. Sometimes they're writing as more of a reflection um, in the form of a statement after they produce the work. But it is important for me to stress in the early stages um, that visualization process so that students can you know, get out of their head and, and understand more um, about their about what they're looking to do and how they're thinking about doing it. Because it's like, right, it's like those are all the things that like you kind of are taught or like learn how to do in school sometimes. And like, I don't think it is until afterwards that you really like appreciate what that like, pro like sometimes you're like, I don't want to like make this board or do this sketch. It's like, I have this idea. I just want to like go and do it. And like, totally. sure, like sometimes you just do that in like real world, like, right. you know, but I also know that like when, I do those processes that you're talking about. It's like, yeah, it just, it, it turns out quote unquote better, like for whatever like value system that you're like judging at that moment. But like, well, it's also, it's also evidence of your, it's evidence of the work that you've done. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't focus as much on the end result, but it is also exactly. acknowledging the process. Yeah. Because it can be like that process can be just as valuable or if not yeah. more than like what it is that the thing came out. And right. it's totally okay also if the the final garment doesn't look like the sketch, you know, depending on the um, the requirements for the project, like sh it, hopefully you should have some reference, but I think that understanding and being able to communicate to students that I'm not necessarily expecting an exact um, realization of their two-dimensional sketch in their three-dimensional garment, um, but I'm looking to see some evidence of their thought process. I've thought about teaching or like studied art education from like a museum, like participatory way yeah. and perspective, and then had like a fine arts, went or had my own fine arts education through undergrad. And and one a commonality that I think about and how I like pursue moving forward in how I teach and how I create like work is like thinking about art as a pedagogy mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I think that there's so much um, like the artistic process and the conceptualization process and creative problem solving. In my mind, that's like what like art education is mm -hmm. and not like sometimes this perspective of like, when you say art education, people think of like, you know, kindergarten art class. And, you know, yes, it is about the elements and principles of design, which you might learn in kindergarten, but like, there's so like, that's something that's continuously taught. And like, I reference back and refresh myself on that. Um, but I think there's like so much more to like art as pedagogy. I'm just curious your thoughts about that too. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Um, I think I totally relate to what you're saying as far as being, teaching this, teaching the approach, like, giving students a foundation and a framework for making and talking about, you know, and responding to art um, and works of design as well. So I think I very much understand how, how it could be applied as a pedagogy. Um, you know, I think there are so many approaches to art making. I have been able to do some research um, around pedagogy and not specific to art making. Um, talking to you about, like, I think we've talked about Teaching to Transgress by Bell Hooks, um, which is just such a powerful 
text that really influences my teaching and I know has influenced so many other instructors who I respect. Um, and I think, it, and maybe it's hard for me to separate, honestly, because I identify as an artist who also works in design and, and someone who thinks in a really focused way about how I'm teaching. Like, it's kind of hard for me to separate them. Um, you know, I, I, everything I see is through the lens of my experience. Um, and I think approaching and validating creative process and experience, like, yes, if that could be prioritized in, in other pedagogical approaches and validated as its own pedagogical approach, I know that you all do work around, um, fields outside of design can benefit from, from art and design thinking. And so I could definitely see how, how a, an artist's mindset could influence other areas of, of making and of, um, production and, and yeah, so many other fields. Is there anything in like art practice that you've been working on or the teachings that you've had with your students or, you know, that you're just like really excited for and like looking like, what is it that you're like, cause I always like to end and think about like, what is it like, what do you want to see in the future? Like, what is it that you want to see? Like, not like change in the future, but like, you know, like how, like, how would you want to see like the, this like process kind of like be shifting or moving forward? The decisions I'm seeing from my students um, regarding their material choices. I mean, this is a very tactile component, you know, obviously tactile component of fashion design. Um, but in regard to fabric, students who I know are thinking about sustainability and um, where material comes from, how it's made, who makes it, um, are actually making choices that reflect that value system. Um, it's not because of cost, because of access, it's not always possible for students to do that, but I think that they are seeing pathways to make it possible. And, um, you know, whether that's looking at secondhand, um, it's something that I encourage. We have a local resource here in Detroit, Arts and Scraps, that gets, it's a, a resale, um, a donation, place for arts, art supplies, as you can probably tell by the name. Um, and they have, you know, they get so many donations. I've personally found amazing fabrics there that I've used in my own practice. I recommend it to students. Um, you know, I point them to other resources like Fab Scrap in New York, which is a, a fabric reseller and um, has programs in place for students to purchase fabric, even though, even if they don't live in New York, um, they have an online store. And so being able to see students make decisions, like I said, that really reflect their values is really wonderful because that has, that's something that they can and should like be proud of and promote and talk about and, and really share with their audience. Um, the fact that they are able to actually make those decisions um, consciously. Um, and, and yeah, moving forward, I'm also looking to encourage students to make even more decisions, um, conscious decisions around sustainability, being able to offer them, you know, to encourage them to not buy any new materials. We're going to, I'm working towards, um, a pilot, I guess, for the fall in our introductory sewing classes, sewing for fashion design classes, um, 
emphasize, you know, no new materials except for thread. Um, and there are some tools, some foundational tools like measuring tools, um, but that can still be found secondhand. It just takes a little bit more work. Going to encourage students, yeah, to not, not buy new fabric because um, while I don't want to limit students' creativity, there are ways, especially in the early stages of a student's design work um, to, to be able to purchase materials that are that already exist, that, you know, are not coming from Joann's. Um, at the same time, we don't have very many fabric stores in the Detroit metro area. And Joann's is, if, if you need to touch the fabric, which I completely advocate for, shopping online is not always the best option. If you really need to understand a fabric's um, characteristics and, you know, the way that it feels, the hand, the, um, those are the same thing. Um, the way that it drapes, uh, you, you really, it's hard to do that, obviously, if you're ordering online. So um, yeah, we have Joann's, we have a couple other fabric stores, but the the range is pretty limited. So um, so I think that that maybe makes secondhand a, a better or easier option in some cases. I'm so glad that you were able to speak with us today. And um, I was able to find out so much more information about you. Um, in addition to what I already knew. Uh, I'm just curious if people wanted to find out more about you or check out some of your work, is there any place that they could go to see that? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, first, thank you so much, Hannah. And thanks to Jeff. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you more. Um, and, and I appreciate your thoughtful questions. But yeah, I have a website. It's www.margarethall.com. Margaret is M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T, Hall, H-U-L-L.com. And then I also have an Instagram account. Um, it's Margaret Hall with a period after the M and a period after the H. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, you should definitely check out some of her work. Um, do you ever post any of your students' work on there or anywhere? Sometimes. Also, feel free to follow Wayne State Fashion. Um, it's uh, at Wayne State Fashion, W-A-Y-N-E Fashion. So yeah, that's where student activities lectures are posted. Um, so you can definitely find student work there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, Hannah. I hope today that you were able to see a little bit more about how art and design are maybe closer than we thought. I'd like to thank Margaret Hall for having this conversation with us about her experiences as an artist, a designer, and an educator. If you have any topics that you would like us to explore further, please reach out to us at hello at thefountaininstitute.com. We also produce a weekly newsletter on design education, also called Beyond Aesthetics. To sign up, please visit our website, thefountaininstitute.com. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, then subscribe to whatever podcast platform that you use. I'm Hannah Baker, and this is Beyond Aesthetics.